following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have loved being in this particular book. There's so much truth there. There's so much uh, that really helps us wrestle with who God is, and particularly the way that God is working through his people and the things that he is accomplishing through his people. So if you have your Bibles, we will turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and read uh, the opening uh, section of Ephesians chapter 3 together. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God and created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged, and because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. So as we have gone through the book of Ephesians, it becomes quite clear that Paul is just so enthusiastic about what he's talking about that he's all over the place. And when you try and look at the book of Ephesians, it's not as though there's a really a consistent, ordered thought there. He's, he's talking about one thing, and then all of a sudden he bounces off into another area, and he talks about something different. And this particular section is no different. So what he does in verse 1 there, it says, uh, he says uh, there the fact that he is about to begin a prayer. So if you look at verse 1, he says, for this reason, and it's almost as though he's about to begin to bow his knee and to pray for these people. And then he gets carried away with all these other things before he gets into his prayer. It's almost as like he wants you to know other things before he can pray for you. So this passage we're looking at, it's largely a parenthesis. It's largely a, a sidetrack, a rabbit trail that Paul takes before he gets back to his prayer. And if you look again in verse 14, you will see the fact that he picks it up again and he uses those same words again for this reason. But really what he's doing here is he thinks that it's so important that we understand about what it means to be part of God's body, what it means to be 
a follower of Christ, that he, he puts his parenthesis in and he tries to explain to them more fully what's actually involved as far as that's concerned. He wants, before he prays, he wants them to understand the truths of what it means to be the church, to be the body of Christ. Paul wants to affirm the authority and he wants people to fully know what it means to be a Gentile and a follower of Jesus Christ. And the thing that is so important in this particular section is this idea of the mystery. The mystery is what is talked about in this particular passage here, and it's, it's an important concept, and we're going to spend some time this morning looking at what it means and what's involved in this mystery. And specifically, we're going to look firstly in the first six verses as that mystery is revealed. Then in verses 7 to 9, we're going to look at the fact as, as Paul has been a minister of that particular mystery, and lastly, in the last four verses, we'll look at the fact of the church as that mystery, and we're going to see what unfolds as far as the church is concerned. But if you look at this word mystery, if you look at your Bibles in verse 3, it says the mystery made known. If you look in verse 4, it talks about the mystery of Christ. And then in verses 6 and 9, again, it talks about the idea of this mystery. This idea of a mystery was a concept that was critical to this particular passage in Ephesians 3, and we will spend some time talking about it soon, and we will start to understand a bit about what is involved in this mystery here. But we see in verse 1 that, that Paul was called to be a minister of God. He was called for the purpose of the gospel, and specifically for the sake of the Gentiles. And as we talked about a little bit in the previous chapters, as this was really significant as far as Paul was concerned. Most of us today, we probably don't understand the importance of that. The reality is most of us, potentially all of us, would be classified not as Jews, but as those that would be uh, classified as being Gentiles. And so we probably don't actually grasp the significance of it there. But the reality is that in the biblical times, particularly the Old Testament, there was, there was two groups of people. You're either Jews or there was everyone else. And the everyone else's were Gentiles. And so for most of us today, as believers here, we would be classified in that Gentile category. And so Paul is the one that is involved in bringing this good news of Jesus Christ to those that were Gentiles, to those that were far away. Paul describes himself as an administrator or a steward of God's grace. And a steward or an administrator is somebody that has responsibility uh, within a household to do the affairs and the business of that particular household. They were involved in the, uh, the buying and selling of things. They would have kept the books. They would have done everything that was involved in running a household. And in effect, Paul is saying the task that he has been given is as an administrator, as a steward of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, to go to the nations with that, but specifically to go to the Gentile nations and to proclaim to the Gentiles the fact that God's grace has been revealed to them. It was his job. Paul's number one task was to proclaim God's grace to the Gentiles. And the reality was, as it says in verse 1, that because he took that job seriously, he was actually in prison. If he had just been taking the gospel to the Jews, probably he would not have been in prison like he was now. But because he was responsible for taking the good news to the Gentiles, he is now in prison. 
and he's suffering because of that. And the key thing that it mentions here, as we've already talked about, is this idea of this word mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the word mystery, I think about the idea of a, um, of a whodunit type thing, perhaps a, you know, a, a detective program or a murder mystery or something like that. And um, it's sort of like, as you go through it, there's this complex uh, story that's woven through, and as you progress through the story, various things are revealed, there's various twists and turns that become obvious as you head through this particular story. And the reality is, as you read a, one of these sort of mysteries, or as you watch a movie, basically by the time you get to the, f- the final part, the final chapter, the final scene, you're basically on the edge of your seat trying to figure out what is actually happening. And in that final scene, that final chapter, all the pieces come together and everything is fully revealed in terms of what's going on. So that's the way that the classic whodunit sort of plays out. And I wonder whether some of us think about that in terms of the way that things are revealed in the Scriptures. It's almost like we think that, that God is, is in heaven watching this whodunit unfold, and it's like at certain times God says, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I could see the plot unfolding, and that was what was going to happen. And at other times it's almost like we think that God's up in heaven, it's like, Wow. Where did that come from? I wasn't expecting that to happen. Um, But the reality is, sorry to disappoint you, that when it talks about mystery here, it's not referring to that mystery. It's referring to something a little bit different. Let me illustrate to you with a few photos what is involved in this word mystery. A mystery that's referred to in the scripture is something that is revealed over time. So what I want to do is I want to put up, you can't see it probably very well, but there's a few few pictures of uh, people's, shoes up on stage here. All of these shoes here have been on this platform here. You can see what I do during the sermons. I take photos of people's uh, feet. Uh, so as you can see there, there's three, <laughs> there's three lots of uh, shoes up there. Some of you might look at those shoes and be able to figure out who those shoes actually are. Some of you might not. What I want to do is go to the next slide, and you can see there there's a bit more detail, a bit more has been revealed, and it's probably a little bit more obvious to most of you who those three people are up there. Like I said, they've all been on this platform here. And then let's go to the final picture. And you can see once the final picture goes up there and everything is fully revealed, you actually understand exactly who those shoes belong to you can see the f- everything that has fully been re- revealed. So you can see uh, Josh and Reuben and Adam are the ones that, whose feet we saw initially. And it's almost like this is what has been talked about in this particular passage. So this mystery that is revealed is something that in the Old Testament times they did not fully know or fully understand. But over time, more and more has been revealed until finally now it is fully revealed. Finally now they know exactly what is taking place and they can see exactly what is going on. And that's the whole point that is going on here. So the primary emphasis of this particular passage is to talk about what is fully revealed. And this mystery that is fully revealed is the fact that the Gentiles and the Jews are one in Christ and that there is no distinction. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. There is no distinction. And like I said, for many of us today, as uh, 
those from Gentiles, we don't think much about that, but this was significant. This was a major change that was taking place. And Paul wanted everyone to understand this mystery, and he wanted us all to know about what was going on. And I think for us now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can now look back into the Old Testament times, and we can see that, yes, there were allusions to what was going to take place. It's like when I showed you that picture of those three people, and you could see everything, it was easy as you think back to, to identify where those shoes actually came from. The reality is that they didn't know everything in the Old Testament times. No one knew fully that when Abraham was told, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, they didn't know that that, what that fully meant until Paul said, and the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. And he talked about that in the book of Galatians. And Isaiah as well. There's a number of prophecies that Isaiah talked about. He said this, I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. But it wasn't until Paul explained that in the book of Acts that people fully understood exactly what that mystery was. Part had been revealed in the Old Testament but over time, more and more of the picture is revealed until they get to the point that everything is fully seen, everything is fully understood. The Old Testament saints didn't actually know what the church was. They had no concept of the church. In fact, I think they would have been quite horrified as to what developed into the church. This whole idea of assembling together one united body, Jews and Gentiles, was something that was quite unknown to the nation of Israel. They would not have comprehended that they could be one particular nation. There was that separation between Jew and Gentiles. The two did not come together fully. Gentiles were always second-class citizens. And so Paul spends a lot of time in this letter to try and explain and help them to see that it's coming together of those two particular groups. I think the idea of the separation... Um, really struck home to me uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to, uh, on a trip to India. And on that trip to India, we're able to go and uh, visit a, a, a leper colony. And in this leper colony, people were put there, obviously because they had leprosy. So what happened if someone was diagnosed with leprosy, that person and their family would have to go to this leper settlement. And uh, it was quite incredible to, to be there. We were able to spend some time there and, and help with some of the uh, medication that was required and to serve them a meal and to uh, support them as much as we possibly could. And if you know anything about leprosy, the, it's quite horrific in terms of the, the effects that the leprosy has, that um, because of the way it affects the nerves, uh, eventually the extremities... Um, tend to, like toes and fingers, will often disappear because they have no feeling in them. So therefore they'll do things like they might burn them in the fire or get an infection in them. So it's really quite terrible in terms of what takes place with leprosy and the things that go on with uh, somebody who actually has that, uh, that particular disease. But I think the thing that amazed me most in that uh, leper settlement was the fact that there were children and grandchildren of the lepers that were in that particular settlement. 
they were 100% healthy. No trace of leprosy at all. For several generations, there had been no trace of leprosy in their particular um, parts of, the, of their family. But because their parents or their grandparents had been lepers, they had the social stigma of being lepers as well. So therefore, as far as society saw them, that's what they were. And I think it really brought home to me that whole idea of not was there just a separation because of medical reasons, but there was also a separation because of social reasons, that these children and grandchildren were lepers. Not because they had the disease, but because they were part of that community and that they were separated from society because of that particular fact. And essentially, it is that strong what's going on in terms of the separation between Jew and Gentile. That's how strong that separation was in the Old Testament times. And in spite of the fact that at various times in the Old Testament, there are allusions to the fact that the Gentiles will actually be able to get some inkling and some understanding of what God is like and how God is working, it really came down to the fact that ultimately... Gentiles were second-class citizens as far as the Jews were concerned. If you went through the Old Testament, you could see the fact that Gentiles will be blessed by God. It talks about the fact that Gentiles will actually um, bless God as well. And it talks about the fact that the Messiah would come to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. But they were always viewed as being slightly different, slightly second-class, and they were not able to experience fully what was going to come, what was being fully revealed in this mystery. And what's fully revealed in this mystery is that we're all one. There is no difference between us. We are all one. And it's exactly the same as though those lepers that, that I was able to see in that uh, leper colony were able to become part of society again. That their leprosy was completely gone, they were completed this, and they were treated the same as everyone else. That's exactly what is going on within this divide that has been taken down and been separated as far as that's concerned. The lepers were able to now intermingle with everyone else in society. And they were able to fully participate in society because of what God had done. So that is this mystery. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. There is no distinction between people in Christ. The reality is whether you are here today as a Jew or a Gentile, male or female, Chinese, South African, even Australian, you can be one in Christ because of what Christ has accomplished for us. The reality is there is no distinction. We are all one in Christ. We are all able to experience the full blessings. We, there's no second-class citizens here. We are all the same in Christ. Everything is equal in Christ. So the reality is the first thing is, is that God reveals this mystery, the mystery of one in Christ, something that was not fully revealed before but is fully revealed now, and that we can celebrate the fact that we are one in Christ. Secondly, we see the fact that Paul was a minister of this mystery. 
you think about the Apostle Paul. When we first read about the Apostle Paul, we actually read about him as being Saul. And Saul was known for what? Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He was known as one that was out there actively trying to stop the spread of the gospel. He was out there actively trying to persecute Christians and have them killed because of their faith. But in Acts chapter 9, that experience on the Damascus, Damascus Road, his life is totally transformed and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And from that point onwards, he is involved in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. His whole life is committed to doing that. Everything that he does is about proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You read through the book of Acts from Acts chapter 9 onwards, it's largely about the works of the apostle Paul and going around the nations at that time, going around the known world at that time and ensuring that people know the truth about Jesus Christ. The good news that Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ and can celebrate together as followers of Christ. Paul asked in the, in the letter to the Romans, he says, How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And even though um, Paul doesn't specifically give an answer to that question, the answer is implied. They won't. Paul knew that unless people were out there proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, people would not hear. They would not know. They would not be able to become part of this new mystery, this new church that he was in prison for. And he knew that he had to be faithful to doing that. So Paul's calling was very clear. He was a preacher. He was committed to going out and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was faithful for doing that. He was a prisoner because of the mystery. He was not able to do the things that he normally would have done because of the fact that he was now a person in prison, somebody that was not able to do what he would like to do because he was committed to taking the truth of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The reality is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is spread by faithful people like Paul who are prepared to go to different places to proclaim the gospel. They are prepared to go and tell the story and they were prepared to sacrifice much. Paul went to prison because of the gospel. Um, earlier in the year, I was um, able to go to Afghanistan. And um, in Afghanistan, was able to hear the story of um, the spread of the gospel in Afghanistan. And um, there's a picture up here of a book that has been um, written. It's only just come out. And some of you might have heard about this particular story. Um, and we were able to talk to some of the, the believers there that had come under the ministry of this particular uh, family. So this uh, South African family, they had gone to uh, Kabul and that they had been there and that they had been uh, there to provide uh, humanitarian uh, support for the people there, but they had also taken the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as well. And one day, because they were known to be Christians, uh, a group of three Taliban came 
and attacked their house. So they came with um, suicide vests and uh, machine guns and grenades, and that they uh, killed uh, the father and two teenage children. And uh, this story here is written by, um, by the wife, by the mother, who was in another place when this attack took place. And it just really impacted upon me the fact of how people were prepared to sacrifice everything for the cause of the gospel. That this family went to Afghanistan knowing that it was a dangerous place, knowing that there was risk involved in doing it, and knowing that they may eventually have to pay the ultimate price, which for them was their lives. And it just really brought home to me how significant that was. Uh, this is what the wife says. She said this, I don't think we will ever know 100% what the impact of what we made in Afghanistan through the years. I think that we will know that one day, though, when we are in front of the Lord, but I believe that we made an impact on people's lives. I believe also that my family's blood that was shed is like the seed of the Afghan church and that there will be a thousandfold harvest in the end because I believe God has the last move. And people throughout history, like the Apostle Paul, like this family, were prepared to go to difficult places with the gospel. And I'm in no way advocating the fact that um, we should all be martyrs for our faith, but the reality is people throughout history have been faithful and they've been prepared to go to whatever it takes because they knew that the mystery of Christ was worthwhile going for. It was worth everything. People were prepared to go and sacrifice all for the sake of the gospel. Paul was in prison and would eventually lose his life because of his faith. And throughout the 2,000 years of the church, men and women at times have lost their lives because they are ministers of the gospel. But thirdly, we see the fact that the church lives out this mystery. The church lives out this mystery. In Ephesians 3.10, Paul talks about the lofty and cosmic role that the church has. The church is the channel by which God's wisdom is demonstrated to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I have to admit that I don't really get exactly what is going on here. But the reality is that us gathering here today as the church, as God's people, people from every tribe and nation, isn't just for our benefit, but it talks about the fact that there are the supernatural realm that actually learn and benefit from us being here today as well. Like I said, I don't fully understand all that goes on as far as that's concerned, but it's clear from these scriptures is the fact that we benefit from that but also the spiritual realm benefit from that as well. The church is a mystery and others in the heavenly realms understand more about who God is and the way that God is working because of the fact that we gather together as God's people. It's quite amazing to know that. You know, we often think about the fact that we come to church for our own good or our own benefit. And yes, we do do that. But the reality is that the heavenly realms also understand about God and the way God is working and about the grace of God 
through the fact that we gather together today. The church does not exist simply for the purpose of saving our souls, although that is important work, but it also exists for the fact of being able to demonstrate the glory of God. People of every tribe and nation gathered together demonstrates who God is and what God is doing. And there's lots of things that our church does and lots of things involved in the life of our church. I just want to talk briefly about a, a, some of the, the ministries that are involved in the life of, of the church. You know, we understand the, the, the task of the church in terms of the ministry that we're involved in doing. Firstly, we see the fact of uh, ministry to God, that aspect of worship. You know, we gather here today as a worshipping community. We gather and we lift praises to God. We pray to God. We study God's words together so that we can understand more about God and that we can honour God for who he is. In relationship to God, the church's purpose is to worship him. And time and time again, if you read through what Paul talks about, uh, in the Colossians he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God has designed us and appointed us as Christ followers to also be Christ worshippers. That we are gathered together today as those people that worship God. And we can exalt him, we can give him the honour that is due his name because of what God has done for us. We reveal the mystery of Christ through that. So one of the reasons that we gather on a Sunday is that we can worship God together. Um, each of you is here today because you are one of the true worshippers of God and that together your voice, your service, your actions, together we form the body of Christ and that we can worship and honour God as he deserves to be worshipped. From every tribe and every nation, we're here today to be able to do that. Secondly, we see the fact that there's the ministry to, uh, to believers, that ministry of, of nurture. According to Scripture, the church's responsibility is to nurture people so that everyone will become mature in Christ. It talks about that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and it has that idea that we are to be involved in bringing people and making them mature believers. So as a church, we support each other, we encourage one another, we learn together so that we can become mature followers of Jesus Christ. Paul said that his own goal was not simply to bring people to Christ, but it was also to see people go on to maturity in Christ. And he told the church in Ephesus as well that the goal was to bring people to maturity in Christ. Yes, seeing people come to Christ is important, but we also need to see people move on to maturity in Christ as well. And we need to see that that's an important part of what we do. And as, as a church, that's, that's why we do lots of the things that we, we do as a church outside of Sunday. You know, that's why we do things like life groups. That's why we have uh, things like praise and worship nights. We can come along and praise and we can grow together as followers of Christ. That's why we encourage you to meet one-on-one -on -one and encourage people in the scriptures and to, to encourage each other to grow and to mature in the Christian faith. The reality is, that we should all be growing and maturing and becoming more and more like Christ on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what's involved in being a follower of Christ. And thirdly, um, there's the ministry to the world, the whole idea of evangelism and mercy. Uh, you know, for me, a verse is like in uh, Matthew 28, where it talks about um, going out uh, 
with the good news of Jesus Christ and baptizing people. Jesus told the disciples to go to the nations. And we have just as much responsibility today to go to the nations as what they did then. Uh, I guess one of the advantages we have today in New Zealand is many of the nations are coming to us as well, but we still have a responsibility to, to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ and to make sure that we're involved in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, declaring the gospel, declaring the fact that the church is God's people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, we're all together in Christ. We are all followers of Jesus Christ. We're told to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And it says this is the first and the greatest commandment. But the second also is to love your neighbour as yourself. And this sums up the law and the prophets. And the reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we go out with the good news of Jesus Christ and we go out with the love of Jesus Christ and that we are to love other people and that they will see God through the love that we bring to them. We're to imitate God and show love for others, both to believers and unbelievers. And as a church, we're involved in doing that as well. You know, we are actively looking for ways that we can impact our community. You know, we've, we've talked about things like uh, that we do long story short. We, we're just about to start a Christianity Explored course. And these are some ways that people can start to, to wrestle with some of the truth claims of Jesus Christ understand more for themselves what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're involved in doing those things. But we also provide a number of other things within our community as well. We do, you know, we run things like CAP courses, we do parenting courses, we do a whole variety of things that try and provide opportunities that we can connect to our community and that we can show in practical ways the love of God to the community. We need to be seeing the fact that having workers, like here at the school, 24-7 youth workers, are simply a way that we can be actively involved in showing the love of God to those within our community. And that's an important part of what we do as a church. You know, I often hear people say, oh, I don't need to go to church. You know, I can just worship God on my own. Um, I don't need to be a part of all of this sort of organised Christian sort of stuff that takes place. And to some degree, it's true in the sense that, yes, you can worship God individually, but the reality is that being together as the body of Christ is something different than what we can do on our own. The Apostle Paul said that the church was the mystery that was now revealed. The fact that people of every nation could come together under the true God and could be worshippers of the true God. So we are unique. We are special. We are able to be the people of God and we are able to do the things that God wants us to do. The gospel is not merely about getting people to heaven. It's also about helping them to live well before eternity as they prepare for eternity. It's about discipleship. It's about getting people to grow and mature in their Christian faith. So the reality is that we are the church. We are the church. We are those living out the mystery of Christ. We are the true worshippers of the living God. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we show love and mercy to all. This unique group that we are, 
is the church. And as you look around, you can see different people, different ages, different backgrounds, but we all come together because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We all come together and that we can all celebrate our unity in Christ. We are that new humanity, that new people. We are the church because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because he died upon the cross that we can be this new group, that we can worship God together and we can be the people that God wants us to be. The mystery of the church. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.